Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Basil Favis. I am an elder here at uh, Westview Bible Church and part of the preaching team. Um, for those of you also who have been with us for the last few weeks, you're going to know that we've been talking and um, there's been a series that we've been doing called Experiencing God. And lots of what we're looking at and principally what we're looking at are the gifts of the Spirit and, and how, what they are and how they can operate in the church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Chris McCooey talked to us about how they operate inside and as of community and, 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 and that we, we each have gifts and those gifts are meant to come together as a community. Uh, last week, Charlie talked to us about the gift of tongues, which has often been misunderstood, but that can also have an important role in the church, in our own personal prayer lives, and that it also can be a source of disunity and that we're allowed to also think differently about these things. And there's also, and then stop! Stop! There is a more excellent way. Today... What the Lord has put on our hearts is that I'll be speaking on 1 Corinthians 13, this most beautiful treatise on love. And if you actually look, I got a little bit of a shock value there. I can see it still on your faces. That's good. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is inserted between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which are actually talking about the gifts of the Spirit and actually talking about how there was a problem with the use of the gifts of the Spirit in the Corinthian church, and it's actually put in as a stop. Stop. Let's come back to the core of our faith. So today, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12 the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, before we look even at 1 Corinthians 13, says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. So 1 Corinthians 13 on love. This portion of scripture is actually often described as the greatest, strongest, deepest thing that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It is a hymn of spiritual and even literary beauty. Along with Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, along with Psalm 23, 1 Corinthians 13 is on love is probably the most recognized part of scripture in society. So what I wanted to do this morning is I thought I would just read 1 Corinthians right through. Then I'll come back and we'll look at it in parts, but it is something, it just felt deep in my spirit that we just needed to read this right through from beginning to end. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Thanks be to God. So powerful a scripture. This portion of scripture is actually divided into three parts. In the very first part of 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually saying that the gifts and all other things actually are meaningless without love. The second part of 2 Corinthians 13 is actually asking the question, what is love? What does love look like? And the last part of 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about the eternal nature of love, that there's something about love that is transcendent. In that first part of 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about, you know, speaking in tongues, but if I have love, I'm only a resounding gong. If I have prophecy, fathom mysteries, if I have all knowledge, and if I have even a faith that can move mountains, but have love, I am nothing. You can give all you possess to the poor, give your body over to hardship, but if you have not love, you gain nothing. What the Lord is talking about here are wonderful things. And things that we're actually called to do as a body of Christ. But he's saying that in the absence of love, these things, whether they're gifts in the church, whether they're gifts that have been given to each of us, whether they're gifts that we're meant to take into the world as we go out, if we do these things without love, they are actually meaningless. It is a futility of the gifts and of all things without love. 
What Paul is actually stating here is a deep understanding of what the Christian faith is about. When Jesus spoke on this famous Sermon of the Mount, he said, many times, look back on it, you say this, but I say this. You say this, but I say this. Scholars and commentary have looked at things like the Sermon of the Mount, and they've said that the mission of Jesus Christ to this world was to take a people that were absolutely locked into a legalistic and a legal code way of looking at religion and telling them that what God wants of us is something deeper. It's about our inner motivations. It's about our inner motivations. And what this scripture is telling us in 1 Corinthians 13 is it's actually giving a verb. It's actually giving content to what that motivation is. That motivation is love. So everything about our faith is about our inner motivations. And love is that motivation. In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, we talk about the great commandment. And you're going to say, oh, Basil's up here again, and he's talking about the great commandment. You know, it should almost be in every sermon we give. And often I've said to people, and when I've had a chance to share recently, I, I shared at McGill about the transcendence of faith and science and faith, and I was mentioning it. If you haven't really had a chance to read much of Scripture and you want to understand something about what the gospel is about, look at Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Pharisees are asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, we often stop there and we kind of leave it at that. And we kind of understand that, yeah, love is kind of an important part of the Christian faith. The most important part of this actual scripture is in verse 40. Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is totally resonating with the teachings of Jesus here. In the absence of love, in the absence of love, what we do is nothing. And that we are called to a faith of inner motivation. We're actually called as Christians that the outside resemble the inside that we take away the mask and that we walk through this world actually with agency, as agents of God's love. I've been really, um, I'm really interested. One thing that I, I love is I just love going into my place of work and just seeing how mal everything I see, like it's just... You can just see God in, in everything. Like, I mean, there's days that are really hard, and sometimes you don't see God at all. I mean, I know that. But it's just amazing how the struggles that people have and even the things that we struggle with at work often and different things, 
are all kind of connected to the gospel. They are. And, and, and we are not meant to keep this faith in a spiritual bubble here in the church, but to go out. One of the things that's really interesting is that some of the most beautiful works of literature, which you just know as works of literature, you can look at those and you can actually see the gospel of Christ being spoken out because no matter what we do, it's going to come back to some aspect of how we've responded to love in our world. So I've been reading Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and I've been reading the non-abridged version, which means it's like about, you know, very, but there's a whole hundred pages at the beginning of Les Miserables, and you may know this, it's a musical, it's well known, it's about some of the tragic aspects of the revolution in France, which were horrible, and, um, and it was um, people, there was great abuse, great poverty, difficult times. But in the whole beginning part of Les Miserables, there's a bishop called the Bishop of Ding. And he is actually, by Victor Hugo, created as a heroic figure of compassion and mercy. And one of the things that it actually says, and I'm astounded as I'm reading this, he's saying, you know, we can't just look at the sin. You have to look at the context of the sin. It was this beautiful person, a, a figure of Jesus, and a figure of compassion and mercy. And one of his quotes of this Bishop of Ding and the Miserable was the following. It says, he condemned nothing in haste and without taking circumstances into account. He said, examine the road over which the fault has passed. And when I read that, it just really resonated with me. As we walk into our world and as we have known the love of God and as we are called to share the love of God, the way we see people, the way we understand people, is we are not quick to judge, but we are quick to love, quick to understand the circumstance that they've been through, quick to understand and to embrace them and to point them to the love of God. This Bishop of Ding said, the guilty one is not just the person who's committed the sin, but the person who's created the shadow. And it was interesting because at about the same time, I was having a talk with my, one of my neighbors. And this neighbor um, is an elderly man of, of German background, and he was born in East Germany. And he was telling me the story of when he was young, and he was able to escape from East Germany into West Germany in the 50s. And he said that when he was living there in East Germany at that time, this was in the 50s, after the Second World War, it was so hard, it was so difficult. He says he couldn't actually get people to believe him when he tried to explain how difficult it was. But he said his mother had to go and work 80 kilometers away, and she had to take the oldest son to go with him, go with her. And he was left alone with the other children. He said they had nothing in order to survive. They had to go and steal from farms and from other houses just to be able to survive. The guilty one is not the person necessarily who has committed the sin, but the person who has created the shadow. We are called, even with love, 
When you have the love of God, this is not an easy thing, and this is something that God develops with us over time. We are called to go wherever you have been and wherever you're placed to look at where love needs to be spoken in the areas where we are. In this case, can you blame a man for stealing when an entire system has put him into such hardship that he can't even find food? Love is calling us to move beyond a black and white faith, to move into a caring for our society, even to care for the systems of this society that might cause hardships for others. But we are called to a way, a way, a way of love. The second part of that chapter in 2 Corinthians 13 is actually talking about what love is. What is love? And it says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast. It's really funny because a couple of weeks ago I had a talk with Jean-Marc, Jean-Marc Bisson, we were at the back of the church, and Jean-Marc was saying, Basil, he says, it's crazy in 1 Corinthians 13. How much do you have to read before you actually realize, man, I'm falling flat on my face here. Love is patient. Uh, love is kind. Uh, it does not envy. Uh, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. What this is and what is being expressed here in the second part of 1 Corinthians, when you want to ask the question of what love is, it is a portrait of the person of Jesus Christ. This is a portrait of the very person of Jesus Christ. If you want to look at something that is similar in Scripture, you'll look at the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is very similar it is a portrait of Christ. And for those who come into relationship with Christ, this is what Christ is building in our lives and desiring to build in our lives. Even speaking truth is an act of love. It can be very hard to speak the truth. It's kind of not always that hard to speak truth. To speak truth in love, if you think this is easy, we need to have a very, very long talk, speaking the truth in love. And sometimes you can think, oh, well, love is just this easy way out. Love, to know God's love and to share God's love, to demonstrate, to see God, these, to actually be obedient to God's love in our lives is sometimes very difficult. To speak truth in love in this scripture is equated with not loving evil. So that what's saying is that's what's saying here and what the scripture is saying is that what love is, is love is actually a description of the person of Jesus Christ. And we had Donna Jordan who came to us, interestingly also from YWAM, and spoke to us at a retreat a few years ago and one of the things that Donna Jordan was mentioning to us, beautiful, and I remember this, and as we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we need to remember this, 
The gifts of the Spirit are founded on the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness, pain, gentleness, kindness, patience, all the things that are described in Galatians 5.22, all the things that were described here in this part of Corinthians. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit are built on the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit because it is the gifts of the Spirit are an outcome and need to be an outcome of the love of Christ in our lives. Amen? So what is love? Probably one of the best books that I've ever read on the different loves is C.S. Lewis's book called The Four Loves. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Oxford years and was a um, very, very influential Christian, was a scholar, but also a very influential Christian thinker. In The Four Loves, he says that love, because we're looking at this question, what is love? Love, actually, he sees love as two types of loves. All the loves that we know in this world are either need loves or a gift love. The need loves, for example, we, there are different types of need loves. We need friendship. That's a form of love. Affection, like, the, like from a parent to a child. This is another form of love. There's eros, a romantic love, which is another need that we have. And then there is this gift love, which he calls charity, C.S. Lewis. The need loves that we have, some people have made the mistake, oh, mistake oh, okay, somehow I'm going to become super spiritual and just have this Christ-like love and, and minimize the need loves. But we're created to need love. And needing love is an important part of just being human. We all need love. In fact, the need loves that we have is actually part of being made in the image of God. That we need love is actually God to each of us calling us back to him. Calling us to him. The need loves are fulfilled actually in us coming to him. We need the love of others, and those love, the love of others is important. But the love that we have and the need loves that we have also can be destructive. There can be a destructive element to the need loves in the absence of God. Because in the need loves, there's nothing to keep us from just making that totally selfish, to making that about me. So, it's really interesting because along with Lewis, C.S. Lewis, probably some of the mo one of the most important um, contributors to thought on love has been Augustine, who was a bishop in the early church incredibly wise man. And in Augustine's The Confessions, Augustine, who was born in North Africa, he was going to Carthage, which is also in North Africa, and there's this famous sentence. 
And it says, to Carthage I came, where there sang all around me in my ears a cauldron of unholy loves. A cauldron of unholy loves. So need loves are basic to us. We need our need loves. But Augustine was actually probably credited with being with the one who was saying that sin is actually all a form of just disordered love. Disordered loves. Disordered loves. And that as we come to God, God doesn't want to take away those need loves, but he wants to fulfill them and make them even more beautiful. Affection, friendship, romantic love, he speaks into all of these things. But in the absence of God, these loves, we can talk about wanting to be in a world of love, but there can be a lot of hurt. So it's interesting because this Thursday, my daughter um, said, Dad, I'd really like to go to a concert with you. And so um, we, we drove to Trois-Rivières, and my daughter's a big fan of uh, uh, something called, uh, someone, uh, a group called Coeur de Pirates. So I don't know if anyone has heard about Coeur de Pirates. Uh, Beatrice Martin, she is a phenomenon in Quebecois society. And um, so we went and I listened to Beatrice Martin and Coeur de Pirates in Trois-Rivières just this last Thursday. And, and uh, she's so authentic so genuine, very emotive, and incredibly emotional. And literally, and she was even laughing about it herself, and so she says, all of her songs are about being hurt in love. <laughs> literally, every song is about being hurt in love. So, if you want to speak to another generation, let's rewind a bit. And we'll talk about Simon and Garfunkel, okay? <laughs> so there's this great song called I Am a Rock by Paul Simon. I am a rock. I am an island. And you can just see what's happened to Paul Simon here is that he's been, he, he, he's, he, he's had, he's had some, some interaction with love with someone he's been hurt. And now he just says, you know, he's cutting himself. I'm a rock. I am a rock. I am an island, you know. And then he goes and he says, you know, if I had never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. You know how the song goes. I'm, I'm doing a very poor representation of it here. I don't think they're going to invite me onto the worship team here. So, you know, we can do different things. Love, we, we can withdraw from it, but that's not what we're meant to do and close it off. And all these need loves, they have their purpose. They're important. They, they, they are, God has built them into us as a part of being made in the image of God. But they are meant to be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus. And they're meant to even be perfected. So what is this gift love? If need loves is a reflection of God and it's about us being made in the image of God and we see something about God wanting to draw, God is using those need loves to actually draw us back to him. It's part of just being created. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we're called to be sons of God. We're called to be children of God. We're called to actually see the life of Christ and that portrait of Christ, slowly, difficultly, with us, you know, fighting maybe half the time, 
But the character of Christ is built in us. And the true, non-perishable center of the Christian faith is this expression of Christ's love in us and is called an agape love. Agape love is a pure, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. It does not seek anything in return. Agape love is a sacrificial love that unites and heals. And it finds its epitome in the life and death of Jesus, of Jesus dying for us, for our sins, being resurrected to be, to, for us that we would also be restored in a new life and be sanctified to new life through his death and resurrection, through nothing that we deserve, this beautiful, free love to express love, we need to know that we've been loved. We need to know that we have been loved. We fight against that sometimes. Sometimes it's easier to maybe even try to express love to others as opposed to accepting the love as well. But love is something that we need to know. We need to, have to experience and to give God's love to others. We need to know that we have been loved of God by agape love, free, beautiful, sacrificial love. The last part of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13, says love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. It will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. What this scripture is telling us is that not only is love the core of our faith, not only is what we're doing today in our world, love has the op- love is actually meant to reconfigure the world that we live in. We're agents of love wherever we are. That's the way we are. But beyond that, this scripture is saying those things are all true. But actually, love is eternal. Whatever we do in love, in this agape love, through the life of Christ in us, is absolutely eternal. It is an eternal nature of love. Not only does love reconfigure the world that we live in, it is transcendent. It is eternal. Everything else is temporal. Everything else is temporary. So I have another book that I've read, and you can see I've just been reading literature, so I hope this doesn't bore you. But uh, uh, one of the other books is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. So this is also has to do with the um, French Revolution and, 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 and deep, deep tragedies and horrors associated with parts of that history. But in The Tale of Two Cities... There's a man called Darnay, and he lived right through the book. You can see this is a person who's lived a hugely destructive life, living a life really only for self. And at the end, what he does is he gives his life for another so that another could be saved. And at the end of the book of Charles Dickens, it says, although this man's life was a disaster, 
that act, he was remembered. And it says, to this generation, to the next generation. And they went down five generations, how that act was remembered. There is something, this agape love, this sacrificial love that comes to us and that is the expression of Christ in our lives is transcendent. It's even more than that. It's actually eternal. What it also means is that there's no such thing as a big act or small act of love. The smallest act of agape love has an eternal component to it. It also means that you can give huge amounts to charity you know, and, and this is great and there's nothing, this is important to do. We need to give, I believe in this greatly. But if you do it for the self and for you, who you are and just, it's just to lift yourself up, this great act of charity is meaningless between, beside that small act of love that was given that was truly an act of sacrificial love. It is eternal. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it's one of my favorite verses, and it talks about our relationship and the sonship in Christ. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We're called as people to walk with Jesus, to be agents of this love, of, of his love in this world, wherever God has put you, not to just be in a spiritual bubble, and God will give us that strength. It doesn't come from us. It also comes through struggle. It also comes through difficult times. And there are times a life is hard. Life can be very hard. And yet the way of God's love, he will show us a way through. A way through. And it is transformative. And it is eternal. Okay. I just wanted to finish with a couple thoughts because we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and this was a stop, right? Stop! <laughs> you know? And I hope that stop, maybe it's a stop when I even thought that I would do this. It made me stop and take a look at my own life. And maybe that stop is also for you. Stop! Stop. Come back to this beautiful, amazing, fundamental truth of being human. But I wanted to bring something back because we're talking about the gifts and I'll just finish with this. The gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about the gifts. They are meant to build in love. They're meant to build the community. They're also meant for us to be able to go where we are and those gifts operate in our workplaces as well. And they're, they're made to also call us to bless into our workplaces. The gifts of the Spirit are meant to build in love. But one of the things that happens is that what happens when the practice of the gifts are done in the absence of love? They become anti-gifts. And the practice of the gifts in the absence of love can diminish and even do harm. And I'm going to give you an example. And this is just to anchor how we need to put love at the foundation one of the things, the gifts that I've felt deeply from the Lord over the years has been something called the gift of discernment. And I've known this in my own life, and we should all be aware of our own gifts. And the gift of discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment, is seeing clearly things that are below the surface. 
the capacity to discern even the source of a spiritual manifestation. I have felt this deeply as a gift from God in my own life. It is meant to be a guide to direct and for the building up of the saints. But what happens to the gift of discernment? That's the gift of discernment when it's operating with God's love. What happens to the gift of discernment when it operates outside of God's love? Yeah, you see all these things, but without love, it becomes a spirit of criticism. What about teaching, the gift of teaching? The gift of teaching is a desire to dig deep and share our understanding for the building up of others. When it's operated in love. If we, if we teach and we're not teaching out of love, it becomes a negative spirit, even what's called a teaching spirit, telling people what to do because you somehow just feel better about that. Or the negative side of it can be you speak a lot, but your life is disconnected to the words that you're speaking. So we need to know our gifts and we need to know what the negative sides of those gifts are, all of us, and to recognize them. There's many others that I could talk about, wisdom, prophecy, pastoral gifts, leadership, but I think you have the idea. The idea here is that we are called, yes, to seek the gifts of the Spirit. The foundation has to be love, to know God's love and for God's love to speak to us. And always, whatever it is that God has called us to do, whatever we bring, and even if it's a sermon, we should always be asking, does this make sense to you? I need, if I'm called to give a sermon here, to have the affirmation of you who are listening. There's absolutely no point. If it, if I need the affirmation so that you would know, so that I can know. We, we affirm, we hold up, we lift up one another in their gifts. Another quote of Donna Jordan, and I leave this with you, is that when we build up one another in the gifts that God has given, we are actually engaging in spiritual warfare on behalf of that person. On behalf of that person. So, do you know your gifts? Do you know the beautiful potential in love of those gifts in God? Are you aware of the potential destructive aspects of those gifts? And I leave you at the very end here of 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1. So we finished with 13. And the first verse of 1 Corinthians 14, 1 actually looks back on 1 Corinthians 13, and it is a charge to us. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, but follow, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for this amazing love that you have given that is free, that is open, and that is available to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would make us a community of love, that you would call us, Lord, to go into the different places that you have called us. Make us, O oh Lord, into agents of your love, O oh God. 
by your strength, by your power, and through your work alone in our lives, oh God. We thank you, we thank you, and we thank you, oh Lord, for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Basil. Uh, we're going a little bit over time, but we are going to do one question for our Q&A time. So if there's someone in the room who has a question, please raise your hand, and the mic will come to you, and you can ask your question. Is there any questions in the room? we got one way at the back. Hello. Hi. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, what did you mean when you mentioned um, unholy loves? Like, right further on what unholy loves are. By unholy loves. So, um, that was a quote from Augustine. Um, unholy loves are loves that, you know, they're the need love, the affection love, the romantic loves, the things that we need, which are there because we're, you know, we're called. It's the image of God for us. It's, we're not something we're to deny. They're there. But what happens is when those need loves know nothing beyond the self, the self beyond me and what I need, they can become destructive to the people around us. And so they become an unholy love. And in fact, Augustine said that all of sin, you can say there's all kinds of sins, that they're actually, it's actually disordered loves. So it's just this, it's this fact that, that even something beautiful, you know, any form of those need loves, there's beauty in them. But if we see nothing transcendent about it, if we don't see God in it at all, they have the potential to become harmful. They have the potential to become harmful. And that was just the term unholy used. There. So it's kind of like idolatry where something, we worship something that's a good thing in and of itself, but when it becomes more important to us than God, more important to us than anything else, more important than it needs to be or should be, then it's unholy. It's an idol. Okay. That's good show. All right. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to continue. Father, thank you for how much you love us. And thank you for how much that love is lavished on us no matter what we do. Father, it says in your word that you loved us while we were still your enemies. And so I pray that you would um, empower us with that love, that that would be the basis for what we do day to day, Lord, that when we interact with people, that when we um, go about our day, that we are acting out of love, out of a position knowing that we are loved unconditionally by you, and then out of a position of wanting to extend that uh, to the world. Father, make us, as, as Basil put it, agents of your love. Help us to pierce the darkness with that love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.